A Letter to Rome. Section 5. Chapter 1. In the remaining chapters we are introduced to the course of practical conduct which flows from the position God has given us in His mercy. As to ourselves, we are in His favor, and our bodies are now at His disposal. Let us see to it that this definite transaction of handing ourselves over to God for the performance of His will has taken place, one for all. The details of that will, so far as they relate to us as saints in this world, follow. In short, they show us how, by the Spirit's power, and in our new character as possessing the Spirit life, Romans 8, we are now found living to God, see Romans 6 verses 10-11, Galatians 2. 19, 20. As to the place we fill in God's ways on earth, we see that this present world is all wrong, and that it is reserved for a soon coming day for the world to be put right. Hence we are not to be in touch with this world, or age, but to be transfigured, changed into a complete opposite from all that characterizes the world, by the renewing of our mind. Thus we bring into practical proof what the will of God is, verses 1, 2. As Christians, let us see to it that we do not get exaggerated ideas of either ourselves or others. We need to have our inward judgment formed in the presence of God. We then look at every man, not according to his natural qualifications, but, as God has dealt to him a measure of faith. Since what we are in his sight we owe to him, who is there that can boast? But let us lay ourselves out to act upon earth according to the grace given to us individually. The members of the human body whilst occupying different offices and performing different functions, yet work harmoniously for the good of one another and of all. So let Christians, who are one body in Christ, see note, regard each other for mutual help and consideration. Let each act in his own capacity and according to his own proportion of faith, verses 3-6. Note, this subject of the one body, though hinted at as based upon the teaching of the Roman epistle, and the fact of the Holy Spirit indwelling every believer, is not developed here. Further light is given upon it in Corinthians, Ephesians, and Colossians. Some are qualified from God to prophesy, see 1 Corinthians 14, three others to serve, others to teach the saints, a fourth for exhortation, and so on. One may have the power of giving, another that of leading or ruling, a third shows mercy. Each is to act in the capacity according to which he has been qualified, not of man, but, of God. Thus there would be unaffected and unassuming love towards each other. We abhor evil, we cling to what is good, verses 7-10. As to our circumstances, we do heartily to the Lord that which our hands find to do. Joy, patience, prayer, liberality, hospitality these are some of the traits of the Christian, verses 11-15. He blesses when persecuted, he does not invoke a curse. He is glad when others have joy according to God, he weeps if others have sorrow. He loves the society of the lowly, and is not proud of his humility. Quietly and honestly he goes through this world, never provoking others unnecessarily, and even when wrongfully treated, he suffers in patience, leaving all in the hands of the Lord, to whom vengeance belongs. And God will repay those who hate him. He is so much in the spirit of his master, that he does all the good he can even to his enemies. Thus he triumphs over evil, with good, verses 14-21. He recognizes the authority of those who rule in the world, he subjects himself and does not resist. Even if rulers fail in the exercise of their duties, that is their responsibility, not his. He regards them as deputed of God to punish evil, and to praise good. He therefore pays tribute without murmuring. 
He stands apart from the lawlessness of the many around him, giving honor, custom, and fear, wherever these are due, Romans 13 verses 1 to 7. He avoids getting into debt with anybody, except the debt of love which he owes to all fellow Christians. Thus, though he is not under the law, his practical conduct is such as the law enjoined upon those who were under it. All its precepts are embraced in that one word, love. Love is the outflow of the divine nature in the Christian, and it works no ill to its neighbor, verses 8-10. All the more should we attend to these practical exhortations, since the time of our stay here is soon to be closed. We await the moment of full salvation, the salvation, that is, of our bodies, it is already much nearer than when we believed. How clear should we stand of all that is of this poor world, its works o darkness, its self-indulgence, its strife. Instead of indulging the flesh, we should wear the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, verses 11-14. to Section 5. Chapter 2. In matters of conscience amongst our fellow Christians, we are to have a great regard for a brother even if he be weak in the faith. We should not involve him in discussion. He may feel a compunction about the eating and drinking of certain things, or about the observance of one day above another. Let us remember that he is the Lord's, whether strong or weak, living or dying, and as dear to him as ourselves. Moreover, he is not to stand at our judgment seat, but at God's. Each of us shall give account of himself to God, not of his brother. Let us therefore ever keep a good conscience before him, and allow others to do the same. Thus our good will not be evil spoken of. We should not wittingly offend a weak brother. We are as believers subjects of God, and his kingdom does not consist in matters of eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Christian antedates the day when God's kingdom will be set up publicly under Christ, and thus he is personally a righteous man, a peaceful man, and a happy man, because the Holy Ghost brings him under God's sway even now. If we thus serve Christ in the kindly consideration of our weaker brethren, it is pleasing to God. If on the other hand, we do not consider them, we not only hinder them, verse 15, but also the work of God, verse 20. When in their company we should avoid any offense to their consciences. We must however see to it that we never go against our own consciences in what we allow for ourselves. If doubtful about details, let us wait till we are clear, for anything done with a bad conscience before God is sin. We should thus be self-condemned, communion would be interrupted. Romans 14. 1-23. Forbearance one with another is thus learnt. Let us not please ourselves in this matter, but lay ourselves out for the good of our brethren, even as Christ, our blessed Master did. We are to gather from the Old Testament scriptures the principles that are to control our conduct, we are to be students of them. It was so with the Lord Jesus, as man, and if we do so, we shall be like-minded with him. Thus there will be real fellowship with each other, a mutuality of reception not defined by class distinctions, or limited to those who see eye to eye in all matters and ray all glory to God, Romans 15 verses 1 to 7. Section 5. Chapter 3. Romans 15 verses 8 to 13. Moreover, the Lord Jesus will thus have the place in our hearts to which God has appointed him. He will lead forth our united praises to God, without discord, even though the chorus be from those who were once as widely opposed as Jews and Gentiles. What a triumph of grace! Christ our undivided object, our hearts knit together in undistracted occupation with him. 
It is thus seen that God's purpose has ever embraced Israel in the fulfillment of his promises to the fathers, and that he has like, wise ever had mercy for Gentiles in view, a harmony of blessing under Christ, verses 8, 9. In verse 9 the apostle points out that testimony was to go out through the Messiah to the Gentile nations, inducing the song of praise in their midst. In verse 10. The nations were to be associated with Israel in the joy of the coming millennium. In verse 11. The call was to be general to all the nations, there was to be no limit of national frontiers in the kingdom gospel. In verse 12. The coming glorious reign of Christ was to stretch over all nationalities, he is the hope of Gentiles as well as of Israelites, under God, he is the only hope of all. God himself fills our hearts with all joy and peace in believing, the Holy Ghost unhinderedly flooding our souls with heavenly expectation, verses 8-13, of the coming one, whatever be the difficulties of our present environment. Section 5. Chapter 4. The Apostle thus leads these dear saints at Rome, whom he had not seen, into this lofty position of praise and thanksgiving. He counted upon them, though unknown personally, because God had especially commissioned him to minister Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Individuals from among the Gentiles, Acts 15 verse 14, being saved and set apart by the Holy Spirit, were offered up collectively and presented with acceptance to God, a kind of heave offering to him. Of the fact of his mission being God-given there was abundant evidence. He thinks of himself soberly as God has given to him a measure of faith, chapter 12 verse 3. But what a measure his was! Verses 14 to 17. Mighty blessing followed his preaching, mighty miracles accompanied it, mighty energy had marked his movements. Immense tracts of country had he journeyed over under his glorious commission and on new ground most of the time. His aim had been to cover spaces where Christ's name was unknown. That vast stretch of country was now evangelized, he had no more space in those parts. He had much desire to visit Rome and thought of going on later to Spain but just at the moment was on his way to Jerusalem with a contribution for the poor and tried saints there, verses 18-26. When that service was fulfilled it was in his mind to go further afield, even to Spain, and he would take Rome on the way. A principle is indicated which is of importance. If the Gentiles get blessing in spiritual things, they ought to regard it as their duty to minister of their temporal things. There is a sort of obligation in this matter. Mildly does the Apostle suggest to those saints at Rome that they might send along a little help to their Jewish fellow Christians, verse 27, in their present need. In view therefore of his forward movement, he prayed beforehand that the saints would cry to God for blessing on his mission. Great servant as he was, he was not independent of, nor too proud to ask for, the prayers of the saints, verses 28-33. He wrote a letter of commendation for Sister Phoebe that they might receive her in a saintly way, and further her business as much as possible, and commends also many of those at Rome, whom he had met in his journeyings, Romans 16 verses 1-16. He further warns them against any who sought to make parties amongst them, such were to be avoided, however good words and fair speeches they might make. His earnest desire was that they should be deeply versed in what is good in God's sight, but content to know little about evil. The moment of the saint's triumph over the last vestige of Satan's power, was near, verses 17-24. The gospel which he had thus set forth in this wonderful epistle was according to the revelation of the mystery which previously was hidden up in God's mind, but was now made known amongst all nations for the obedience of faith, under the commandment of God, verses 25-26.
the Apostle would give us to understand that it is when we have become established in the meaning of the Gospel, it prepares us for the apprehension of the deeper mysteries of God's purpose as unfolded in other epistles. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen.